Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. Wow, so good to be with you. Um, I hope you know uh, what a wonderful community that you are a part of. Uh, sometimes it takes people with fresh eyes to see, right? When you're around the place for a while and you see the, the cracks in the molding and the yellowing of the, the paint and whatever other metaphor you want to use, it's sometimes hard to see the beauty. And I've been amongst you for a good year now and two and a half years of planning to bring our organization to this place. And now, miraculously, I, I, providentially, what my wife is the children's pastor and we are experiencing such joy uh, living life with you and, and coming to know you um, so let me say thank you for being who you are. It's a beautiful thing. Um, I like what Cam said. Uh, I hope that you will tolerate my sermonizing. That's just a good way for a preacher always to, to get his start. Um, what a wonderful thing. Uh, we are here. Uh, if you have a chance and an opportunity, I invite you to, to venture down and see our offices on the first floor, and then we're actually remodeling the third floor as well. Uh, and hopefully, once COVID uh, wanes, uh, we'll have about 50 staff in this office on you know, a daily basis. And uh, uh, we're very much anticipating that day. Now, um, if I say the word snap, what immediately comes to mind? Um, if uh, you think about it, is it uh, snap dragons, snap peas, snap your fingers? If you're under the age of 18 or you have children under the age of 18 or you're one of those hip moms, you think of snap, meaning snap chat, right? Um, it's a smartphone app for those of you who don't know, um, and uh, uh, it is an app that's used by young people and hip moms uh, to communicate, connect, follow one another around, um, and generally snap selfies. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a teenager on Snap. Uh, they're like, snap one like this, snap one like this, snap one like this, snap one like this, I'm like sending it to everybody. Um, and as far as I can tell, and now my kids aren't in here right now, they'd be cringing to hear me even talking about it. Uh, uh, you know, as far as I can tell, it's all about being seen. Being seen in our culture is an obsession, Right? And I'm not saying that it's good or that it's bad. It just is. It's true. We, 
we want to be seen, we crave to be seen. And let's be honest, the, to different degrees, we all crave this. We all need this. There is a desire to be known, to be noticed, to be appreciated, to be valued. And that's what uh, social media is built upon, uh, capitalizing on this desire to be seen. Facebook, how many likes did you get? Uh, how many likes did you get on your past Wordle puzzle? Um, Instagram, TikTok, right? That's a new one, Cam, right? I don't know if Cam's still in here. But we don't have to look at social media to see and know that this is true. I remember when I was four years old, and this was in 1977. You know how old I am now. And I remember getting these amazing blue Nike runners or sneakers. And if you can think about back to 1977, those, you know what I'm talking about, right? And they had the waffle bottoms. And I got them in the afternoon. I could not wait till my father got home. And as soon as he got home, I met him at the door. I said, Dad, look at my new sneakers. And then I proceeded to say, watch this. And I ran around the yard like five times to show him how fast I could run in these new sneakers. A little league baseball player who looks up in the stands after he gets a hit to try to just catch a glance of his parents, a son and daughter who is graduating from high school and locks eyes from a distance with their parents as they grab that diploma or even a baby, a newborn baby that you just can't take your eyes off of. We were at Theology on Tap on Thursday night. That's the way I've been engaging in this congregation is uh, Thursday night, 7 o'clock, Theology on Tap at Gatlin Brewing House. And uh, it was packed this last week. Noisy, people talking, music, and there in the middle was this father I swear, with a newborn baby, couldn't be more than six or seven weeks old. I don't know why they had them there, but they did. And this baby was so locked in on his father's eyes. They could not stop looking at each other. And it reminds me of that scene um, in the Gospels where Mary and Jesus are in the upper room and Martha is, you know, going around trying to get everything ready, and the disciples are questioning the, the, uh, uh, all that's going on. And there's Mary sitting with Jesus at Jesus' feet, a mix of oil and hair and tears, gazing at Jesus, Jesus gazing at her straight to the heart. Because being seen makes a difference. Being seen by our beloved, wow, that transforms. Conversely, not to be seen elicits feelings of insecurity, doesn't it? Anxiety, loneliness, sometimes even abuse or torture. 
a baby, we know, needs that eye contact in order to begin to develop the neural processes necessary for years of growth and development. And there is a quest for intimacy that seems to be at the very core of human flourishing that begins in the simple yet authentic act of being seen. So I want you to think about that as we read our scripture this morning. This comes from Acts chapter 3. i got to grab my glasses. Pardon me. Peter and John were going up to the temple at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the established prayer time. Meanwhile, a crippled man, crippled since birth, was carried in. Every day, people would place him at the temple gate, known as the beautiful gate, so that he could ask for money from those that are entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he began to ask for a gift. Peter and John stared at him. And Peter said, look at us. So the man gazed at them, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, I don't have any money. But I'll give you what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Rise up and walk. And then he grasped the man's right hand and raised him up. And once his feet and ankles became strong, jumping up, he began to walk around. He entered the temple with them, walking and weeping and dancing, praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God. They recognized him as the same one. He used to sit at the temple beautiful's gate asking for money. And they were filled with amazement and surprise at what had happened to him. Did you catch that? That transformational moment that Peter and John had with the, the beggar at the gate where their eyes met and they saw each other. And something happened in that moment that just made everything tilt. And the man was healed, and then he walked through the gates. And just a little background, why was he at the gate? Why was he outside that gate? Well, he was out there because he was disabled. And to be disabled in that culture in that time would meant that he was unclean. He was sinful. He was not allowed through the gate, into the temple, the place where the godly people go. One of my closest friends, who's a Roman Catholic, faithfully attends Mass every, every week, he says, I go, I go to Mass on Sunday to look at the good God and to let the good God look at me. But the man outside the gate could not go could not go into the temple to look at the good God, allow the good God to look at him. And so the real problem for the beggar is that at the beautiful gate was that he had a problem of access. He could not get to the place of healing. If he needed healing in that time, in that culture, that's where you'd go. You'd go through the gate and you'd offer your your sacrifice, and you would receive a promise of healing. He could not go in. 
I grew up in Kansas City in a, a, blue, a beautiful congregation. This congregation actually reminds me a lot of that, my first congregation, my first church. And there was a, a man named Dale Harrison. Dale was the, the head usher, and he um, actually just passed away this last week. He was 94 years of age. He's a former uh, Ford, uh, executive Ford Motor Company, and um, had a history uh, where he was a part of gangs and then came to faith and, and has an amazing, beautiful family. But he was the usher and the greeter. He was always the first person you saw when you entered into the church building every Sunday. And I remember climbing the stairs, this funny-looking kid, um, and uh, I would climb to the top of the stairs. And just as I was about to get to the top of the stairs, I would see a big hand. And it looked very big when I was little, come down two or three stairs. Latch hands me, pull me up those last two stairs. Of course, then there was like some maybe shadow boxing or like some hugs or whatever else. But his whole countenance, everything about him was saying to me, was demonstrating to me, you were seen. You belong here. As I thought about Dale this week, I was filled with a tremendous sense of gratitude because for me, um, I've always belonged. Uh, I knew every inch of that church. I knew all of the cracks and all of the yellow on the paint. I... I knew all of the rooms. It's there I, I, I was in my first musical, and, and it was there I went to summer camp, and it was there I kneeled at the altar. It was from there and from that community I went to college and then to seminary. And then I, I met my wife and, and, and got my first real job outside of working for my dad and pastored and then became a nonprofit leader in that same community. That place always welcomed me. I belonged. The people of God and the community of Jesus made space for me. I was born uh, with uh, slow growing tumors in my face and uh, made me unusual, an unusual looking kid amongst my peers. And I experienced everything you can imagine that comes from just being different and unusual in this culture. But you don't need a facial difference or a disability, or you don't have to be a visible minority to understand the predicament of not being seen and how that exclusion creates feelings of insecurity and loneliness, anxiety, and sometimes neglect that can even produce heartache and trauma. And for some of us, that means being cut off from the places and spaces of healing in our lives. That healing space where you're seen and known, that space that Mary knew about when she sat at Jesus' feet, that space where everything is understood in the context of your life, your beauty and pain, triumph and tragedy, love and disappointment. And truth be told, as much as we thirst for that kind of space, I loved, I just, Vance captured this in his prayer this morning, we sometimes tragically then 
deny ourselves the opportunity of being seen, right? The Little League baseball player that doesn't look at his parents but looks down when he makes the wrong play. People, those of us who, like a wounded animal, lick our own wounds in the corner when we experience melancholy or depression and don't know how to connect any longer. And we experience too much alienation as to even reach out or open ourselves for help. Cut off from or cutting ourselves off from the places of healing. We need his home. Not just a roof over our heads, as important as that is, but we need home. What people experience when, when they experience homelessness is, and what they need more than anything else, is access to a place of healing. And for most people that are unhoused, that starts with a literal roof over their head some place to be safe, a place to lock the door and be able to rest without worry of being woken up or beaten up or just to be cold, not to be cold, but to be cozy. And I have the pleasure to serve and to help lead the Homeless Services Network here in Central Florida. And again, we're so grateful to join you in Mission. And there are so many amazing organizations, many of them are here today, who provide direct services to our unhoused friends. Places like the Coalition for the Homeless and the Christian Service Center and iDignity and UP and, and many of the Family Promise. I know I'm forgetting somebody. And HSN actually doesn't provide any direct services. We um, uh, we, uh, we work quietly behind the scenes to make sure that resources flow in an effective and efficient manner. We analyze data and, and recommend improvements. We facilitate planning and knock down silos and try to improve collaboration. And because we don't actually have enough resources to serve everyone in this community, and that is true and needs to change, we try to create policies and ensure that the people that need help the most get the help first. During the recent cold nights, remember a couple weeks ago when it was super, super cold for like three days straight? The cold snap, oh snap. There's that word again. Um, so we pulled together all of the partners necessary in this community because this community had made a promise that if it gets below a certain uh, temperature, we were not going to let people sleep outside if they wanted to come inside. So HSN pulled together these partners, and I ended up at the Coalition of the Homeless for three nights in a row. And I was there when a crowd of people on Friday night were waiting to get on buses and to be taken to warming centers. And I ran into this gentleman, we'll call him Mr. D. And Mr. D was so excited to see me and to talk with me. 
and he began to, to talk about what his current predicament was. He had been homeless for four years, and, but now he was going to, uh, uh, about to sign a lease into a new home. And uh, he has had an outreach worker, his name is Brad, has been helping him for a while, and, and Brad connected him with iDignity, and, and he was able to get his paperwork, and now he is a case manager at, uh, at the Christian Service Center who's beginning to, to help him, has helped him along the way. And, and HSN has a, has a team of, of people that were out searching for a place for him to live, and they found a place. And, and then we went and we inspected it, made sure it was safe, and now he was going to go and sign a lease in his new apartment. And that cold night, he was going to do that on Tuesday, but that cold night, I was there at the coalition, and we had Lynx buses, and the county had prepared warming centers, and we were going to get him to a warm place for at least another couple nights until he was going to move into his new apartment. I think I have a, maybe have a selfie. I can see that. It's Mr. D. You're far enough of the way not to know his identity. As much as I know that it, each of sin we're working daily to ensure people experiencing homelessness have access to a place of healing, a home, we are often at arm's length. Um, and it's easy to feel disconnected. And so it was really, really good for me to be reminded and to see somebody and to lock eyes and be able to see one another and know one another and connect with Mr. D. And that's why I'm so captured by this scripture this morning where everything happening in Acts, and if you read through Acts and you move from this scene to the next scene, which, you know, the, the church grew by 5,000 instantly. At least the scripture says, after the man went through the gates. And, and that caused all kinds of turmoil. And Peter and John were called before the religious leaders and, and jailed because this man walked through the temple gates everything starts to pick up speed just because Peter and John dared to look at the beggar and the beggar dared to look at Peter and John. So why did Peter and John look at the beggar? I think I've been contemplating this all week. What was it that changed? What happened to enable them to do just that? Because it's really difficult, isn't it, to open up and look at others? Especially if we're looking at someone or something that doesn't look quite right or makes us feel awkward or makes us feel inadequate or makes us feel like we don't know what to do or in which if we lock eyes and we make connection, we, we might have responsibility that we don't have right now. There's a risk associated with seeing, really seeing. It's difficult for us when we're suffering on our own, when we're going through our own pain. 
And this simple act of seeing was the very fulcrum of transformation in the book of Acts for the beggar, for Peter and John, and for this infant community of Jesus. And what is it? And the only thing I can kind of think about is that Peter and John had seen Jesus the Christ himself. The same one that Mary looked at. A mix of oil and hair and tears. And somehow by looking at Jesus, seeing Jesus and allowing Jesus to look at them, they had been transformed. And then they had the power to look and see others. And I don't know how it all happens and maybe it's like what Pastor Vance talked about last week, the admonition in Hebrews for us not to neglect showing hospitality to strangers for some have welcomed angels without knowing it, even tormenting angels. Or maybe it happens like allowing a traveler to join us on the road to Emmaus where we share a meal and all of a sudden Christ shows up in our midst. Those early Christians, they used to pull dead people out of the gutters because they believed that they were, in doing so, serving Jesus himself. Mother Teresa always talked about how she welcomed Jesus in the distress disguise, skies, I love that, of the poor. Vance Rains welcomed an angel, a man carrying a big log. You never know when it's going to happen. And as beautiful as a home is, or as wonderful as a welcoming and affirming community is, the real place of healing is the gaze that we receive from God's own self. The simple and radical act of looking at the good God and allowing the good God to look at us. And this God, whom Peter and John came to know through Jesus Christ, this same Christ gazes upon us through the work of the Holy Spirit and points us to live into the way of Jesus. And it is such an audacious claim, is it not, for us who call ourselves Christians and walk in the way of Jesus, that the very wisdom and logic of the universe is connected to an obscure homeless rabbi from 2,000 years ago who was born in the midst of straw and manure and poverty, a refugee, no less, who lived on the wrong side of the tracks who lived and died and was risen from the dead. And so we are invited to gaze upon Christ, who first sees us. I'm not sure how you've experienced that or how you need to experience that, whether that's through service. You know, you have an opportunity today to, to go and connect with these fantastic organizations and serve and to welcome Christ in the distressed disguise of the poor. Perhaps it's hospitality and sharing a meal in your home. Maybe you need to go out into nature and, and see the work of God in creation. Maybe it's silence and contemplation or prayer or, or here in this space for worship 
whatever the connecting point is, you that you are most tuned into the Christ. The good news is that you are seen by the one who can make all things new. Amen? Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.